0: Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Sock and Source LLC. For more local news, please visit SockandSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners, and welcome to our local news roundup for the week ending June 12th, 2021. I'm Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date, and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the latest headlines. In business news, Southern Lehigh residents are voicing their opinions loudly and clearly about an empty anchor unit in one of the shopping centers on Route 309 in Coopersburg. This is the Fairmont Village Shopping Center, and it actually has a number of vacancies as many shopping centers throughout the area do currently. This one, however, has a rather large vacancy because the Weiss supermarket that was the anchor for the entire center closed two and a half years ago, and that space remains vacant. What readers made loud and clear was that they would like to see another supermarket open in that location to provide competition to the giant store located across the street. That is certainly understandable. More competition is beneficial to consumers in many ways. It brings down prices. It leads to greater selection. And being in Coopersburg, you are sort of not that close to other markets. You either have to drive south to Quakertown or north toward Allentown or Bethlehem to shop In another supermarket it doesn't appear that there's anything on the horizon though of course anything is possible but i thought it was interesting that the number one store people asked for was a trader joe's there is no trader joe's in the lehigh valley it's one of the most desired chains year after year among lehigh valley residents and this has been the case for many years As far as we know, the company has no plans to open a Trader Joe's in Coopersburg or anywhere else in the Lehigh Valley, but who knows? Because they are known for being rather secretive about their plans. It's a privately held company, so they don't have to disclose a lot of information. What we do know is that typically Trader Joe's looks to open new stores in areas that have a median household income of $100,000 or greater within a two-mile radius of the store. Now, I thought that was interesting because the median income in the southern Lehigh area near where this store would be located is about $97,500 a year, which is obviously not too shabby, especially for this area, but it just goes to show you that that they really do prefer to be in exclusive socioeconomic areas. And somebody brought up the point that that's interesting too because their prices are not exactly high. They're certainly not as high as Whole Foods. And the Lehigh Valley has a Whole Foods store. It opened in Lower Macungie in 2016 and is apparently doing okay. So the demographic argument, if that's the one that Trader Joe's is trying to make for not opening a store here, really doesn't seem like it would hold a lot of water when you consider that there's already a Whole Foods here. And certainly they're not totally consistent about locating stores just in high income areas. They certainly evaluate other factors. If there's a large university nearby, for example, that has been clearly shown to influence whether they may open a store in that area. State college comes to mind. Certainly, central Pennsylvania overall is not as wealthy as the Lehigh Valley or the rest of southeastern Pennsylvania. But because Penn State is such a large school and it draws students from all over Pennsylvania and, and other states as well, they want to be there. The same is true as in, in larger cities. So, to make a long story short, for now, there does not appear to be any likelihood that there will be a Trader Joe's in the southern Lehigh area and the closest ones remain the stores in North Wales, Montgomery County, and in central New Jersey. Of course we will be watching for any developments in terms of that commercial space and it's possible another supermarket will open there, whether it's one that we already have in the Lehigh Valley or something totally new. A number of readers said they would like to see a Wegmans open there or possibly uh, redner's anything but another giant which obviously wouldn't be the case because there already is a giant in coopersburg maybe an independent farmers market that's indoors and open year-round that would be desirable i'm sure for many residents to have that there so it's an interesting commercial question about what what could go there what would succeed and of course if there is a new anchor tenant it will help the shopping center as a whole because When you have that anchor filled, it tends to help with attracting tenants to occupy the smaller spaces. I think that is one of the reasons the Saucon Square Shopping Center continues to struggle. Revolutions, the bowling alley and restaurant slash entertainment center slash arcade, closed there over two years ago, and there has been no sign of activity in terms of anybody leasing that space. Of course, COVID-19 has not helped with any of these spaces being filled. It's difficult to rent them, probably in the best of times, they're not something that the average business owner could afford to rent. So the market for a space like that is quite small, but we are coming out of the pandemic and businesses are opening up More new businesses are opening, so it's possible that later this year we will see movement on some type of vacant space in the area. If you know of anything happening, we would love to to hear about it and be able to report on it. You can always email me with tips about real estate and business news at josh at com. In other news this week, we had an opinion editorial, an op-ed, by a local resident who felt compelled to write about the Saucon Valley School District following our reporting on a former school counselor who is now charged with having sex with a minor in Florida. What was interesting about that case is that in reporting those charges, it came out that the former counselor surrendered his certification in Pennsylvania over three years ago but that was a result of allegations that the Department of Education confronted him with regarding students at Saucon Valley and he had not worked at Saucon Valley since 2015. Now the nature of those allegations is not known and it won't be known most likely because of privacy laws and how they are implemented within the world of public education. But the point that our op-ed writer, Bill Brune of Hellertown, was making was that the district is failing to be transparent on multiple levels. He also wrote about pandemic surveys that went out to parents last year and expressed quite a bit of skepticism about the results of those surveys, which were taken by about a third of eligible parents and indicated a very high satisfaction level with the district's response to the pandemic. Something like 95 to 97% of parents who took the survey said that they were very satisfied with the district's response. And there were, of course, many other questions that they answered. But all throughout, the, the satisfaction level was... Universally high, Bill expresses, I would say, some healthy cynicism about that. Certainly, everybody wants to feel good about where their children are being educated. They want to feel that they're being safely educated. But I think the point that he was making, more than trying to attack the district, which is how some people interpreted the column, was that there's room for improvement. And, you know, maybe, maybe. The writing style was something that influenced how people interpreted what he was saying, but certainly I felt that it was constructive criticism. It was meant to be constructive criticism. It came from a place of genuine concern, and although his son is not currently a Saucon Valley student, he is a taxpayer in the district. All taxpayers deserve a say about how the money they're being used is spent, and that includes communication with parents and residents and the media. So it's it's always legitimate when you have somebody like that sharing their opinion, and I welcome more of that. It's a lot more difficult to write an op-ed than it is to rant and rave on Facebook. So I think that anyone who takes the time to do that at least deserves, you know, a certain level of respect for sharing their opinion in such a detailed manner. Of course, we're going to disagree on these opinions. What he was writing about is highly divisive material. As I said, nobody wants to feel that their children were not being protected or that the district was not transparent in a way that suited all students' best interests. In reality, legal issues were likely in play. And it's difficult to say exactly what could have been said and when, but there have been other cases along these lines. This certainly is not the first in Saucon Valley. It won't be the last, and it's not a unique thing to Sockton Valley either. I think it's just important that people try to have a rational conversation about it and and certainly if parents are happy with the education their children received throughout the pandemic great hopefully though that parents that weren't happy however many there were felt uh, comfortable speaking up about that and bringing those issues to the district's attention there has to be a level of trust in order to do that and when information isn't shared in a timely manner and voluntarily, it does erode that trust level, and I think that's an important point that Bill made. And I'll leave it at that, but we do publish opinion pieces, as I said, and this one got a lot of clicks and a lot of thoughtful comments and some other comments, so if you read it, I'm sure you had an opinion on it, and that's great, and we'll, we'll keep sharing those types of important opinion pieces. Unfortunately, this week, we had additional accidents to report on, car accidents. I think I mentioned in a previous roundup that it seems like there are more car accidents happening lately. I know I've certainly been reporting on more car accidents than I have in a long time, certainly since before the pandemic. Now, I think part of that is just the fact that people are driving more. They're driving further distances And that's partly because of restrictions being lifted. So there's more travel happening. There's more places to go. It's also summertime now. So some people are going on vacation. So it's partly, I think, an issue of just there being more volume on the roads. But I don't think that totally explains the number and severity of accidents that we've been reporting on. As we told you last week. There was a triple fatal accident on Route 563 near Nokamixon State Park. This is in Haycock Township, Bucks County. The accident is being investigated by Pennsylvania State Police at Dublin, and on Friday, they released a preliminary crash report, which provided some more information about what happened. The crash report identified all four of the people who were in the two vehicles that were involved. There were two people in each vehicle. Police said that the vehicle that struck another vehicle head-on was driven by Howard Sinclair, a 26-year-old man from Ossining, New York. Sinclair's passenger, Samantha Garcia of Royer's Ford, was killed in the accident, and so were the two young men in the other vehicle Uh, Both of them were local to the Upper Bucks area, and we have information about them and links to their obituaries, as well as a GoFundMe for Samantha Garcia's family in the story. Now, police said that Sinclair remains in critical condition in a hospital in Philadelphia. He was airlifted there after the accident, so he's still in critical condition a week after the accident. That means it's likely that police have not been able to talk to him yet about what happened and there will be a lot of unknowns about this accident until they can do that so we'll continue to follow this and report on it. certainly our sympathies go out to the families of all the victims three young lives cut tragically short and there really aren't a lot of answers yet what's especially sad is samantha garcia was the mother of a two-year-old girl she was just 24 years old herself so a lot of people in mourning over that accident and a lot of people in mourning over another accident that did not occur locally but claimed the life of a local man james r fluck jr of wassergoss lower sauken township was killed crossing a pretty busy road in northern pennsylvania this happened in brain township wyoming county that's just outside of Laceyville. if you're familiar with that area and it happened last weekend state police are investigating that accident james r fluck he was known as jim or jimmy was 44 years old and a family man native of the sawcomb valley area so he had a lot of friends here and there's been an outpouring of sympathy for his family and friends on our pages We shared his obituary this week, and we certainly extend our condolences to everyone that he leaves behind. Hopefully, the state police will be able to provide them answers with their investigation. And yet another accident involving a fatality occurred last weekend locally. This one took the life of a 17-year-old girl who was driving on Route 663 near the Quakertown interchange on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. For unknown reasons, state police said she veered across the concrete center island in the road and struck another vehicle. Fortunately, the occupants of that vehicle were not seriously injured. However, the 17-year-old driver who crossed over was killed in the accident, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, she was not identified because she's a minor, but that's yet another another tragedy. And even beyond that, we had other accidents that we reported on this week that were not fatal, fortunately, but one of them was a rollover crash involving a minivan on Magnolia Road. And another was an accident on 78 near the Hellertown exit that caused a very long backup on Thursday. The Magnolia Road accident did happen during a heavy downpour, so it's possible that weather was a factor in that accident. We don't know, but I was told by somebody who was near the scene of the accident that the driver of that minivan did not appear to be seriously injured, thankfully. In other police news, Hellertown police issued a public safety alert on Thursday. They said there was a suspected attempted child luring in the 100 block of Main Street. Uh, Hopefully that's not what it was, but we did report on it as such because we want our, our readers to be aware of that possibility. This happened Thursday afternoon when a boy was walking a disabled bicycle in the area of Main and Walnut Streets that's near Rite Aid in Hellertown and was apparently approached by a man driving an older model dull black van with a white primer spot on the passenger side. This man uh, apparently asked the boy to come over to him in the van, I don't know if he was offering to fix the bike or possibly wanted to offer him a ride, but at that point, somebody who was a passerby felt a red flag or, or something like that, and they started to ask the boy if he was okay, if he was being bothered, which is awesome. I mean, I love that Hellertown is the kind of place where that happens. This led the man in the van to drive off And so police were hoping to identify him. They said he was about 60 years old, white, with uh, long gray hair. That was about the extent of the description. I also said on Facebook that anyone in that area who has surveillance video outside their home or business might want to review it and possibly contact the Hellertown Police Department. Finally, the lifeguard shortage continues. The Hellertown pool will not be opening as hoped on Saturday. Instead, officials said that due to the ongoing shortage, they hope to open the pool on June 22nd. However, it could be later than that. And there could be disruptions in the daily opening of the pool if they don't find enough certified lifeguards. The borough is even offering bonuses both a sign-on bonus and an end-of-season bonus to help attract more applicants. And the certification classes are being held now. So if you're interested at all in that, please see our story. It has more information, has contact information for the Greater Valley YMCA, which is handling the applications because they are now running the Hellertown pool. They're also managing the Fountain Hill Pool, which is similarly facing a lifeguard shortage. One of our Fountain Hill borough council members is even preparing to take a certification class so that she can fill a lifeguard chair if necessary, and so shout out to Councilwoman Jamie Johnson for doing that. I'm sure that not something that she thought she might be doing this summer, but that's great volunteerism and community spirit on display right there. I wanted to remind everybody that the Saucon Valley Farmers Market is open every Sunday from 9am to 1pm next to the Hellertown Area Library. The market is a great place to pick up locally produced produce, meats, cheeses, prepared foods, baked goods, and of course things like soap, honey, coffee, you name it. You can pretty much find it there. There are close to two dozen vendors, and we profiled one of them this week. Johnny had a story about Ridge Valley Farm, which is a local producer of maple syrup. They're located in Sumneytown, Montgomery County. They also sell a variety of maple-related products, like maple sugar and all kinds of sweet delights. So you'll want to check out their stand. They're usually at the market at least once a month. You can follow the Saucon Valley Farmers Market on Facebook and Instagram for updates on vendors and who will be there uh, every week, but the market is held through late November. There's plenty of parking available at the library and on Constitution Avenue. Be sure to check it out and support your local businesses. And that's our news roundup for the week, ending June 12th, 2021. I hope you have a great week. Here at Sock & Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on sock and source and we'd like to tell you a little more about that essentially the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community. And it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com you can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page you'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7 a four-month membership for $25 or a yearly membership for $70 These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. it's my pleasure this week on no rain date to welcome two people who are intimately involved in a very special history project that's happening in allentown it's the stonewall memories project which is an initiative of the bradbury sullivan lgbt center in allentown we have with us ariel torres who is pride programs manager for Bradbury Sullivan, as well as co-chair of the Stonewall Memories Project, and Kristen Leibert, who is the archivist for Bradbury Sullivan. Thank you both for joining us. Yes,
1: thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: It's our pleasure. Before we get into talking about the project, I just Wanted to maybe bring our listeners a little bit up to speed on the Stonewall, if you're not familiar with it. And that's probably not very many people, but it's been a a legendary gay bar and nightclub in Allentown for almost 50 years. And last month, they closed permanently. So in order to preserve not just the physical history of the club, but the emotional and, and social and cultural significance of it. The Stonewall Memories Project was created, and I think that's that's an awesome initiative, and and it's great that you guys are, are both uh, closely involved with that. As I said, the Stonewall was a very important part of not just nightlife in Allentown, but the LGBT community for many years. And Errol, I kind of wanted to start with you because, well, in a news release that Bradbury Sullivan put out, you talked a little bit about your first experiences visiting the Stonewall, which I think you said was in 2005, and then Mm -hmm. you ultimately became a regular performer there, a drag performer, Electra Fierce St. James. You won numerous drag titles, including Miss Stonewall in 2009. That's awesome. So you have the experience of being both a patron and a performer there. What has your emotions been like first upon hearing the news that it was going to close and then as you are part of the Stonewall Memories Project I know you said it it sort of felt like like losing home.
1: Yeah absolutely so going to the Stonewall originally I never even dreamed that I would be an entertainer it wasn't even on my radar something that I thought would happen in my life Um, that's something I never thought about and I went there and it was pretty much my original LGBT community center. It was a place where the first time I saw like people just like me all over the place, but also people that were kind of like me and different in so many beautiful ways. You know, just seeing the entertainers like it just awoken something in me. And here I found out that it was the legacy that has been coming back for years, the Miss Stonewall pageant and entertaining there. But just discovering that the bar was there since 1972, that's, like, even way before I was born. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just, like, gravitated to it. I got to know a lot of the workers there. I built relationships that felt like, you know, a family. And, you know, this almost been for sale for many, many years on the market, off the market. And we always thought we were safe. We thought nobody would ever, like, really buy it unless they were going to buy it to continue that legacy. So take care of that. It was purchased, and it wasn't going to continue to be what it was. It was kind of kind of surreal until the last night because I thought we would never have a farewell show there. Mm-hmm. I thought you know the Stonewall would outlive me, and unfortunately it's it, that's not the case so it's been it's been a little tough, but, like I said in one of my speeches, I hosted the farewell show that we just had there, and you know I kind of can't tell you word for word exactly what I said because I was speaking from the heart, but what I did say was something along the lines of all of us being a brick of the stone wall. Mm-hmm. And together, no matter where we go, we would build a mighty foundation, and the stone wall would live on regardless of the address and the building that it had. So it's a little bit of my experience. I mean, I'm not sure how much further you want me to go into that, but I could talk for hours. So.
0: <laughs> well, I think, I, I think that's a great summation of, of sort of, yeah, the, the emotional moment of its closing and like you said the fact that nobody ever thought that that would happen going back well first of all as a performer of drag where does this the closing sort of leave that community because other places that were venues for drag performances have also closed in the lehigh valley in recent years so is that an issue as far as like being able to you know Perform as an artist.
1: So I feel like yes and no. I do feel that there will be a lot of other establishments that will represent themselves as allies and want to have LGB takeover nights, which is wonderful, and I think you know I'm all for it. But the Stonewall was just like I even hold it hosted an amateur night there where people got to showcase you know up and coming talent, like where they were trying to start drag and cultivate Mm -hmm. that and get the stage experience, and I feel like it's kind of going to make it a little bit more difficult for those who aspire to be, you know, a queen in the valley. You know, Allentown is known as Queen City, so it was (laughs) great to so it was great to continue that and like in a in a different avenue, you know, I was a queen of Allentown by being a queen of not only Stonewall but, you know, Diamonds. I was a former Miss Diamonds as well. Mm -hmm. Also a former Miss Gay Pennsylvania America and the Pennsylvania America pageantry system. And I had that foundation at the Stonewall and I feel like it's just going to be that much harder for people to find places that are going to cultivate that talent and nurture it and for people to be around their peers and be around the right kind of support system and help. So, will there be more shows? I'm sure there'll always be more drag shows because there's a lot of drag talent all over the place. Mm -hmm. But to raise local queens here in the Valley is just going to make it that much more difficult. Mm
0: I think it was last fall, I was in Allentown and it was like a Friday night and there was actually a, a drag, an outdoor drag show on the Arts Walk near Center uh-huh. Square. I just remember that. and That was actually pretty cool that it was outside and it was, and there were a lot of people there too. So
1: yeah, I believe you're speaking of Duet in the Park is actually, it was something the Bradbury Sullivan Center put together. and the famous duo of Clan Ann, which consists of Caroline, Caroline, and Sharon Ann Husband. Oh, okay. They decided to do a benefit for us and to raise funds for the center. And people over at City Center were able to give us the venue and to give some people something to do, you know, because we were, we were still in COVID times. So right. it was very rare to find something fun to do outdoors that was safe. And so, you know, we're very grateful to everybody involved in that. But yeah, that was actually a, a production of Bradbury Sullivan
0: LGBT Community Center. Awesome. Well, it it made a big impression on me, and and you're right because it was like, wow, people are having fun. Like, <laughs> it was it was a darker time back then. So hopefully th- that will continue. I, I thought that was a great a great venue for yeah. that.
1: I even think that was election night, if I'm not mistaken.
0: <laughs> it might have been. Yeah, it was right around that time. It seems like longer ago than than six or seven months ago. But yeah, so. I wanna move over to Kristen next and, and talk a little bit about your work as an archivist, specifically with the Stonewall Memories Project. How are you using those skills to you know, sort of document the history of, of the club, which is generations long? And I know you said you're receiving a lot of like positive memories too, and I was hoping you could talk about some of those that you've already received.
2: So Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center houses the Lehigh Valley LGBT Community Archives, which is a partnership between the center and Muhlenberg College's Truxler Library. So we collect a lot of archives and records and objects from, for local LGBT history. So it's like Pride of the Greater Lehigh Valley. We have their records. We have local activists like dixie duke and white the pennsylvania diversity network pa gala so we have a lot of different collections we probably have about 25 collections right now and that does also include oral history collections so we are doing the best we can which is pretty amazing because people usually really associate lgbt history with a lot of the big cities so like new york city and san francisco you know it's well-documented in those places, Mm -hmm. but LGBT history has been all over the place all the time. So, And we have a very rich history here. So the Stonewall Memories Project is building upon what we have. And because Stonewall was a place that opened, well, I was doing my research today and everything I saw was 1972. And then I came across something that said, they opened April 8th, 1971. Hmm. So there's your reason to have archives is to really be able to dig deep and find all the things. So the first organized LGBT community group organization started in the Lehigh Valley in 1969, like a couple weeks before the Stonewall Uprising in New York City. Hmm. So it was a group of people who came together and wanted to be able to socialize, you know, on their own. I think, you know, some people, you know, they just wanted to be comfortable together and find their their place. So that was kind of like the first organization. And then there were LGBT bars and then Stonewall opened. So it just, you know, the history just keeps building from that point that we know of. So the Stonewall Memories Project is just building upon that base foundation that we have. So we have a Google form on the Bradbury Sullivan website, which is bradburysullivancenter.org, that people can go and they can click on it. And there are basic questions about the Stonewall, just to get people to start thinking, like, you know, describe your first time visiting Stonewall High Valley. So, you know, people can choose to answer the questions they want to answer. People can email me. My email address is there. I've definitely had email submissions. Someone submitted a whole page long about what the Stonewall meant to them, and they were a dancer at the Stonewall. And it was like so moving to me. And as all of these memories have trickled in, I just feel, you know, I'd wake up every morning and I just. Be so excited to see what came in today, and you can submit photographs and videos. Even, like, record yourself just talking on video and submit that as, like, your memory if you'd rather be talking. So that's what we are doing.
0: And you were just talking about the founding of of the Stonewall, which was not long after the Stonewall riots in, in New York City, as you said. What's like the oldest memory you've gotten or or the earliest memory of of the Stonewall, like from the seventies?
2: Yeah, there have been a bunch from the seventies, like the mid seventies nineteen seventy five there's a a few from there, and even from nineteen seventy five to today, everyone just talks about the Halloween parties. you know there are mm-hmm. so many memories about the the great Halloween parties, even from like nineteen seventy six And a lot of people who went to college around here from, like, the 70s, too. The first time I visited Stonewall was in 75. And, you know, your favorite memory. I met my first boyfriend there, you know. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there are a lot of memories from, I mean, you know, it spans definitely from the 70s until last week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And originally, well, in recent years, the Stonewall was two stories with sort of like the club on the first floor and upstairs was more of a lounge area, bar area. But originally, was it just the ground level, like the club part?
2: I think it was always two stories. So high Ho had a newsletter. So we have a, one, a page ad from right before the Stonewall opened. Mm-hmm. And I have it pulled up right now my computer. It says, two floors, two bars for your convenience
0: so interestingly oh, wow. it always had that huh for some reason yeah I, so i, I thought
2: that was very
0: that. interesting yeah it's a large space inside bigger than it looks from the outside
1: well you know just to add to that i know from my experience in working behind the scenes at the stonewall there was a massive basement that like stored a lot of those halloween decorations as well as the manager's office and it was like a huge space that was almost as big as the downstairs itself hmm. And there is an infamous top floor that was not utilized, unfortunately, because it just needed to be brought up a little bit more to code and stuff like that. So it wasn't really a usable space, but there was a whole, a whole fourth floor hmm. where if you go onto the Stonewall Facebook, I believe somebody who worked there once posted a video tour of that top floor
0: interesting yeah it, it is a three-story building so i had wondered about that and whether there was anything up there there's stuff up there
1: but nothing that the film will really utilize for the public
0: right do you think that from the, the memories that you've been recording and and the history Kristen, that you have been studying the proximity of allentown you know two bigger cities like philadelphia and new york did that have a significant impact over the years on you know, you know not just the development of the Stonewall but you know the the performances maybe that were taking place there were, were performers coming from other cities because it was close by
2: I don't know
0: if I could answer that question No well, I know well,
1: <laughs> you
2: could answer that yeah. question
1: <laughs> And again I know the Stonewall goes back many many years and I got my start back there in 2005 but I do recall there were some queens in rotation that Back in the days, they used to call it a rotation. Once you made a name for yourself, you'd get thrown in the rotation, so you'd know every couple of weeks it was your show, or depending on how many were currently active in the rotation, would just push you further and further back. But I do know that there was talent from Philadelphia and New York City sometimes that would come down to the snowball, and they would be advertised on flyers and stuff like that. So it it would draw from these major cities every once in a while. Mm -hmm. We would be able to... Well, I say we as, as if, you know, I wasn't the show director, but I mean like the Stonewall could pull people from different areas who have come into contact with the Stonewall, whether it be through a friend or passing through the Lehigh Valley for another reason and looking for LGBT nightlife. So they had become familiar with other with other queens from other states and stuff like that, and some of them were kind enough to come down and share their talent with us as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting to to know that that it was you know had it had an influence beyond just the lehigh valley and vice versa i'm sure in terms of the clientele does that seem like it sort of changed over the years in in any noticeable ways yes <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to hear about that
1: yeah i mean only speaking from my personal experience i do know that as a community we do strive to be accepted and be welcomed everywhere. And I feel that, you know, over the years with the progress that we've made and, and being more comfortable in our skin, we kind of forgot to go back to our original safe space. And I think, you know, through that, people just forgot to kind of like keep coming back over over time. Every once in a while, we'd see a spike and, and people coming to the shows and stuff. But then there were times where we'd go a couple of months where it wasn't what we were used to. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the more progression that we made in our rights and in our acceptance, and we just spread the love everywhere. And we, you know, we have to remember that if somewhere else does open in the Lehigh Valley, you know, God willing, that it becomes the only, because right now we have no LGBT bar in this area now with, this, with the closing of the Stonewall. So I just hope that the the community will appreciate it and remember to to also go constantly and just keep giving it life because it it can't survive without constant patronage.
0: That's a great point, And, and I'm curious, I mean, in a way it seems counterintuitive almost that with more LGBTQ residents in the area or out residents in the area than ever before that patronage would go down, but, you know, it sounds almost like that's what was happening is that because people were just doing other things or felt more accepted going to other places so they didn't feel like they had to go to the Stonewall? I mean, I think
1: everybody's, everybody's reason will be different. It doesn't make it any less important on why they, they were going to other places. I just wanted it to serve as a friendly reminder that if we finally get a space back, you know, just make sure you make that time for, for your LGBT bar. Because you know, the possibilities are endless as to why sometimes people couldn't make it. As somebody who was pretty much there almost every Thursday for years and sometimes on a Friday and Saturday, whether it be in drag for a show in a booking or whether it be just to hang out and support other people that I knew that were in a show or some of the bartenders, you know, just to be able to throw them a couple dollars and have a couple drinks by the bar. It's just something that we all have to keep in mind going forward, that if mm-hmm. we finally get this back, we really have to support it.
0: Right. Well, that's that's absolutely true. And I think sometimes just when places have been there for a long time, regardless of what kind of establishment it is, people just sort of take it for granted, you know, like that it's always going to be there. And, yeah,
1: um, I don't think anybody ever thought that we, like figuratively speaking, I don't think anybody ever thought we would walk... To the Stonewall one day and see an eviction notice on the door, which is pretty much what this purchase was for a lot of us.
0: Right. Yeah. No. That's that's not something that you would want to think of about and and certainly in the good times when when there was a lot going on, it it would have seemed impossible too. So, what other you know memories you know do you have that that really stand out? You know, we talked about the Halloween parties. What are some of the I hosted other- a couple of those. <laughs> They were legendary,
1: <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs>
0: but other, you know, like holidays, times of year, obviously pride, we're t- we're conducting this interview on June 1st, which is the start of pride month. And that's been a big celebration in Allentown, except for mm-hmm. 2020 because of COVID, but it is coming back this year. And I want to touch on that before, before we wrap up later, but what are, yeah, what are some of the other sort of like hallmark events, maybe that set the Stonewall apart.
1: I think for me, my favorite was, it's a sad story really, but with everything that happened down at Pulse nightclub, you know, our community really rallied together. It was going to be my show that following Thursday and I was able to talk to a bunch of queens to, instead of turning my show into a paid show, we turned it into a, a huge benefit. And we advertised it and we marketed it and we said, you know, we have to be there in solidarity, you know, regardless of state lines, we are still one big community. It was one of those times where the stonewall was like not really frequented like as much as we would have liked. But that night there was like only standing room on both floors. Mm. The community came together. I couldn't I couldn't even tell you how much money. I know we raised a lot of money that night and we were able to donate it to the center for the center to then in turn write a check towards, you know, the funds that was going towards uh, the victims' families. So it was, it was a night of solidarity. It was very much the same as like, that's my tie for a favorite memory would not only be the final night where I got to host one last time, but also where I got to host an event where our entire community really showed up, we pulled up and we were able to do something beautiful and come together in the face of something, you know, so bad.
0: Right. Yeah
2: i'm totally going to add to that sure in like the history of stonewall last year we collected oral histories the title of those oral histories are 40 years of public health in the lehigh valley lgbt community from hiv aids to covid 19. so we collected 10 oral histories with people discussing aids and how it affected the lehigh valley and so the stonewall as well as candida which is also an LGBT bar, which has recently closed here, Mm -hmm. they really came together because they kind of would pull pranks on each other as, like, (laughs) you know, two of the very main LGBT bars here. And so they were always doing things to each other, and out of that, they were like, how do we fundraise to help our friends and, like, this community that's being devastated by AIDS? Right. So they really, this always makes me cry every time I talk about it. They really came together and we're like, we know how to throw a party. So they started the bar games, which merged, which became the summer games, which fast, they started fast um, fighting aids continuously together. Hmm. So they started, and that was their fundraising. They did the Summer Olympics, they raised money, and that's how it started. It started like with the, at the Stonewall with everybody there. So, you know, it was just this constant community engaged with each other and th- figuring out how to take care of themselves.
0: Right. And how cool that, that the businesses had that kind of relationship with each other where, you know, you don't always see that, especially in traditional sort of business community, more competition perhaps than than that friendly, you know, support. Yeah,
2: totally.
0: I think that's fantastic. Kristen, can you talk a little bit about the memories That you're collecting now and ultimately how they will be shared and and how members of the public will be able to view them or access them
2: sure well you can still submit memories we actually had a meeting about it today i have an intern this summer who will be doing a lot of this work so we'll be building a public website where we can have all of these memories like written word as well as the photographs and the videos so we are starting that work right now so it will be a great project and we have collected you know archival paper records from the stone wall and you know things that were hanging on the wall walls there. So we've collected those items too. So at some point they will be photographed or scanned and added to it. So it's being worked on right now. So it's (laughs) great. It'll be really exciting.
0: Well, I'm sure sure you'll have a big announcement when that's finalized and, and we'll of course help promote that to the community because we want people to be able to enjoy and, and learn from this wonderful archive, you know, of of the Stonewall memories. So that's something to look forward to and bittersweet, but but exciting at the same time. Ariel, has there been any talk since the, the closure of, I mean, I think you said just sort of in general, people were talking about, you know, hoping that, that there will be another not another Stonewall, but something else to sort of fill the void? Has there been anything specific with regard to, you know, that, or is it too early?
1: I mean, I think everyone would be pretty much on board if there were to open another place here in the Lehigh Valley, I'm sure, especially seeing the outpour of love and support for one last show at the Stonewall. Clearly, it's something that people don't mind getting behind, just based off of, like I said, everyone showing up. So you never know what the future may hold. I'm sure, if given the right opportunity and the right and the right owner and you know the right money put behind it, it could really be something big here in the Valley. It just needs the right people to be behind it to market it, to advertise it, and to really uh, connect with our community.
0: Yeah, and it would be interesting to see if I mean Allentown has sort of always been the center too of the the Yay community, although. There was diamonds, like you, which you mentioned in Bethlehem, but would another, you know, w- would another Stonewall, you know, work in Bethlehem or Easton or, you know, a, an establishment of that size? I'd be curious. But to... <laughs> well, you know
1: what they say about real estate: location, location, location. Right?
0: <laughs> <So>. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, maybe with COVID coming to an end and, and people wanting to go out more now, and unfortunately, I, I think it it did harm many. You know. Businesses, especially entertainment related and Stonewall is certainly in that category, but hopefully, you know, it will get the, the wheels turning in some people's minds that, you know, the, the, there is a need for more of, more of an entertainment venue like that. And maybe somebody listening to this will have some brainstorms. Anything else either of you would wanted to add? I do, but Kristen, I feel like I've been talking a lot, so if you want to go first.
2: <laughs> oh, no, I could listen to you all day. Aww. No, I was just going <laughs> to say, you know, if you have a memory from Stonewall, go to, you know, Bradbury Sullivan's website, fill it out. You can always email me. My email address is there. I'm happy to answer any questions about anything, you know
0: whatever (laughs) is there a deadline for for submitting something or is it just sort of open-ended
2: it's just kind
0: of open-ended
1: right now okay yeah but i mean i think for for me what i kind of want to leave people with as well is that even though we are losing the stonewall we have a great lgbt community center that is you know constantly doing arts culture supportive services pride events all over the lehigh valley so They may not be the same as having like a weekly nightclub open, but at the same time, we, you know, we're here to do what we can in the meantime and engage our community and do not only um, important work for the community, but also fun events as well, which is my job on the Pride Programs Manager. So I'm the one who helps run the entire Lehigh Valley Pride Festival, of course, with the support of the executive director and the staff at the center as well as like uh, we always get a bunch of volunteers and this year is exciting because we were able to pivot to an in-person festival at the last minute which has been challenging but it's something Mm -hmm. that our community deserves and I hope everybody comes out Sunday August 15th at the JCC of the Lehigh Valley to celebrate pride and solidarity.
0: Yes I think that's that's awesome that you are that you're doing that and you're gonna have you know I know your safety is is going to be a priority, of course it's all going to be absolutely. outside you're going to have you know hand sanitizer and, and and other protocols in place, but just the opportunity to to have people come together it seems like it it's really important from an emotional perspective at this point absolutely i agree great well we will we will of course share more information about um the Pride Festival that will be happening in August at the JCC in Allentown in the future, still a couple months away. You can find out more information about that and all of the programs, as well as the Stonewall Memories Project, at BradberrySullivanCenter.org. It's a really great website, well organized, and full of resources. So I, I would encourage all of our lis- listeners to check it out. And certainly if you have a memory or memories of the Stonewall, now is the time to share them. You know, like Kristen said, you can even record your memory, which I think is is pretty neat, because sometimes an oral oral history, you know, can convey the emotion that just the written word doesn't. So that's a nice capability that you have there, and, and you can share photos. The more people who share, the better the ultimate archive will be. and and the exhibit that will eventually be available to everybody. So I want to thank you both so much for joining us and sharing your memories and your experience with us. We wish you both the best as you continue with this wonderful project.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us on the show. It's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for getting the the word of Stonewall and its history, uh, and not only just Stonewall, but like the Lehigh Valley, you know, it's important and we appreciate your your time and, and your energy on this.
0: We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests. Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sauconsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond, so please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening.